Hello, friends. I'm Marissa Blackwood, and welcome to All Things Murder. Welcome to All Things Murder, the show that dives into real true crime cases that inspired pop culture movies and shows we know today. I'm Marissa Blackwood, and today we're going to be discussing the afflicted's inspiration, Teresa Knorr, the mother of hell. Have you heard of this psycho woman? Holy crap. This case, like all of our cases, is messed up. So, listener's discretion is advised. Teresa Jimmy Francine Knorr was born on March 14, 1946, in Sacramento, California, to parents Swanee Gray and James Cross. Her father worked as an assistant cheesemaker at a local dairy, trying to save up enough money to buy them a house in Rio Linda. Unfortunately, in the late 1950s, James Cross was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, which forced him to quit his job. This would leave him to develop a depression and frustration that he would take out on the family. Teresa was very close to her mother and was devastated when she died of congestive heart failure in March of 1961. Marriages. Tired of dealing with her dad at the age of 16, Teresa met a Clifford Clyde Sanders, who was five years older than her, and on September 29, 1962, the two got married. She immediately dropped out of high school and became pregnant. And on July 16, 1963, she gave birth to their first child, Howard Clyde Sanders. They had a rocky marriage since Teresa reportedly accused Clifford of cheating, which led to countless arguments. And on June 22, 1964, Teresa claimed Clifford had punched her in the face during one of their heated arguments. Police got her report of the incident, yet she refused to press charges, and the charges against Clifford were dropped. Just gonna say this, gentlemen, if you're dating a psycho and you know she's crazy and she drops the charges, she's got plans for you. On July 6, 1964, the day after Clifford's birthday, the couple was arguing because he decided to go spend his birthday out with friends instead of being at home. During this argument, Clifford told Teresa, I'm done, I'm leaving you. Teresa was so pissed. She got a rifle and shot him in the back as he was heading up the door. Teresa was arrested and charged with Clifford's murder, to which she pleaded not guilty, claiming she was acting in self-defense. During her trial, Teresa, who was pregnant with her second child, claimed that she had shot Sanders because he was a violent alcoholic who had physically abused her. Several of his relatives testified that he was neither violent nor abusive, while the prosecution claimed that Teresa killed Sanders maliciously. Teresa's own older sister testified against her, stating that Teresa was possessive and jealous and would, quote, would kill Sanders before any woman could have him. It's not looking good for you, honey. Get this. She was acquitted 
of his murder on September 22, 1964. And on March 16, 1965, she gave birth to her second child, Sheila Gay Sanders. After Sheila was born, Teresa began drinking heavily. She became a regular at the local American Legion Hall where she met Estelle L. Thornsbury, who was a disabled United States Army veteran. The two began a relationship and eventually moved in together. During this relationship, Teresa would often leave her children with Thornsbury while she was out drinking. Thornsbury began to question Teresa when she would stay out days at a time, just leaving her with the kids like, you got it. He ended the relationship a few months later after he found out that she was having an affair with his best friend. Now, isn't that the pot calling the kettle black? Didn't you just accuse your last man of cheating? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. After this relationship with Thornsbury ended, she met and began a relationship with another military man, a United States Marine Corps private named Robert Knorr. She soon became pregnant and the couple married on July 9th, 1966. On September 27th, 1966, Teresa's third child, Susan Marlene Knorr was born. The couple had three more children, William Robert Knorr on September 15th, 1967, Robert Wallace Knorr Jr. on December 31st, 1968, and Teresa Marie Knorr on August 5th, 1970. That is just too many damn kids. Now you're probably thinking life is good since they're having all these damn kids. We'll get this. Marriage started to go south again because Teresa accused yet another husband of having affairs. Both of them were known to have short tempers and they would constantly beat each other and the children. Finally, he got fed up with his wife's constant accusations Robert left her in December of 1970 and was granted divorce in 1971. Just to punish him after the divorce, Robert attempted to see his children and Teresa prevented him from doing so. Teresa would go on to marry two more times in 1971. The first was a railroad worker named Ronald Pullum. Their marriage ended since yet again she'd leave her kids for Ronald to handle as she would go out drinking and partying. Ronald divorced her in 1972 after he was convinced she was having affairs. Her final marriage was to a Sacramento Union copy editor, Chester Chet Harris, whom she married in August of 1976. Teresa's daughter Susan grew close to Harris, which made Teresa super jealous and she filed for divorce from Harris in November of 1976 after she reportedly found out that Harris enjoyed taking consensual nude photographs of women. The abuse. After her fourth divorce, Teresa's behavior escalated, and that's when she started getting physically, verbally, and psychologically abusive towards her children. She also gained a tremendous amount of weight and became reclusive to the point of disconnecting the home phone and even refused to allow the kids to have any visitors. She pulled them out of school and according to her neighbors, her two bedroom apartment in Sacramento was filthy and smelled of urine. Neighbors also noted that the children who would never go outside seemed fearful, nervous, and high strung. 
For years, Teresa abused and tortured her children in various ways, including beating them, force-feeding them, burning them with cigarettes, and throwing knives at them. How was Child Protective Services not called? Was that a thing then? She made her children hold each other down while she assaulted them. In one instance, she held a pistol to her younger daughter Terry's head and threatened to kill her. Teresa's primary focus on her anger and abuse was on Terry's older sisters, Susan and Sheila. In an interview, Terry said her mother resented that Susan and Sheila were maturing and blossoming into attractive young women while she faced the prospect of losing her looks as she aged. Teresa also believed that her fourth husband, Chet Harris, had turned Susan into a witch. So, Susan received the worst of it. After one severe beating, Susan ran away from home. She got picked up by police and she got placed in a psychiatric hospital where she even told staff that her mother was abusing her. Teresa denied, you know, the claim that she was getting abused. What? No, she's crazy. She would tell them she had mental issues. Authorities did not investigate the matter and released Susan back into her mother's custody. Like, are you kidding me? If someone is claiming abuse, believe them. Or at least investigate. Come on. Now, of course, you know, being back in her mom's custody, Teresa kicked the hell out of her and punished her by beating her with a pair of leather gloves and forced her other kids to participate as well. Weeks later, Susan was handcuffed to the kitchen table and Teresa made her own children, like guard her. Teresa wouldn't let Susan leave the house and forced her and the other kids to drop out of school and most of them did not make it past the eighth grade. The murders. So Susan was handcuffed to a kitchen table for two years by her mother. And Teresa would hand feed her like she was a dog. But Susan had to keep her mouth gag on. Ugh. Obviously, Susan begged the torture to stop and asked her mother to release her. That following morning, Teresa lost her marbles and had a psychotic fit and started beating everyone. She uncuffed Susan for the moment and handed her youngest child, Terry, a gun to point at Susan to make sure she would not go anywhere. Meanwhile, while Teresa and the other kids were in the kitchen making oatmeal, one of the kids dropped the spoon and it spooked Terry, so the gun went off and it hit Susan. Teresa, you know, immediately chained her back up and was upset that she was getting blood all over her carpet as Susan is bleeding out, begging her mom just to take her to the hospital. Teresa, you know, thinking that's too risky, decides to nurse her back to health at home while making her other children help. Susan did survive the shooting, but attempts by Robert, the oldest son, at her request to remove the bullet led to infection and sepsis. On July 16th, 1984, Teresa packed all of Susan's belongings in trash bags and after tying her arms and legs and placing duct tape over her mouth, ordered her sons, Robert and William, to put Susan in her car. 
They drove her to Squaw Valley, where Robert and William placed her on the side of the road on top of all the stuff containing her belongings. Teresa Dow Susan, who was still alive, and the bags and gasoline, and lit Susan on fire. Susan's still smoldering body was found the following day. Now, due to the state of the remains, a positive identification was never made, and Susan was classified as a homicide case, Jane Doe, number 4873-84. After Susan died, Teresa directed her anger at Sheila, forcing her to become a prostitute in May 1985, just to support the family since Teresa was unemployed and was just receiving unemployment checks. This would made her super happy about the arrangement because she did not have to work and she was still receiving large amounts of money from Sheila. Plus, she thought it was like a win-win situation since this allowed Sheila to come and go as she pleased. However, after a few weeks, Teresa started getting pissed off and accused Sheila of becoming pregnant and having STDs, which Teresa claimed she got from Sheila from a toilet seat. No, honey, it's because you out partying. When Sheila denied the accusations, her mom would beat her, she hogtied her, and she locked her in a hot closet with no ventilation. Teresa forbade her other children from giving Sheila food or water or to open the door to the closet, which only one child disobeyed and gave Sheila a beer. That's all they had. You know, hey, it's something. I'll take a beer. Terry would later say that, quote, she, Teresa, wanted Sheila to confess. That was Mother's way. Beat them until they confess. To end the punishment, Sheila, you know, just confessed to being pregnant and having an STD, hoping that it would get her out of the closet. Teresa claimed that she was lying and refused to let her out. Sheila died three days later on June 21st, 1985 of dehydration and starvation. Teresa left Sheila's body in the closet for an additional three days before discovering that, oh shit, she's dead. Once again, she ordered her sons, William and Robert, to dispose of the body, which had begun to decompose and was causing an erroneous smell that filled the apartment. The boys placed Sheila's body in a cardboard box, which they disposed of near Truckee Tahoe Airport. Sheila's body was discovered a few hours later after it was disposed, but was never positive identified and was classified as Jane Doe number 6607-85. Even though Sheila's body had been removed from the closet, the smell lingered in the apartment. Teresa became concerned that the smell and physical evidence in the closet would implicate her in Sheila's death. And on September 29, 1986, she moved the entire family's belongings out of the home and ordered the youngest, Terry, to burn down the apartment just in an effort to destroy any physical evidence. During that night, Terry dumped three containers of lighter fluid on the apartment floor and set it on fire. Burn, baby, burn. Unfortunately, the fire did little damage as neighbors quickly reported the fire before it spread. The closet in which Sheila had died was not damaged. Yeah, ran went real south. 
After the fire, Teresa went into hiding. Her surviving kids, who were then by the legal age, severed ties with their mother. As they should. I would. Her youngest child, who is now 16 years old, Terry, also escaped her mother's care and used Sheila's identification card to pass herself off as a legal adult. The only kid to remain with her was Robert Jr., who at the time was 19. Teresa and Robert Jr. moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, and attempted to keep a low profile. In November of 1991, Robert Nord Jr. was arrested after he fatally shot a bartender in a Las Vegas bar during an attentive robbery. This is not laying low, son. He was sentenced to 16 years in prison. Shortly after Robert Jr.'s arrest, Teresa left Vegas and relocated to Salt Lake City, Utah. Arrest and Convictions After escaping from her mother, Terry attempted to report her sister's murders to the Utah police, where they dismissed her stories as fiction, as did the therapist she visited once again. Doesn't even have the common decency to one, believe me, or two, investigate. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. On October 28, 1993, Terry phoned the hotline for the Fox television program America's Most Wanted and told the detectives in Placer County, California, where Susan's body had been found. Now, the Placer County detectives actually took her claim seriously and they followed up with the investigation, soon linking the two Jane Doe's found in the area in 1984 and 1985 to what Terry was saying of their detailed deaths of her sisters. William Knorr was arrested on November 4, 1993 in Woodland, California, where he had been living and working. Robert Knorr Jr., who was already in trouble, was charged with the sister's murder while he was serving his 16-year sentence in an Eli, Nevada prison. William Knorr was sentenced to probation in order to undergo therapy for participating in his sister Susan's murder. In exchange for his testimony, the prosecution jumped all charges against Robert Knorr Jr., save for the one count of being accessory after the fact in relation to Sheila's murder. Robert Jr. pleaded guilty to the charge and was sentenced to three years in prison, which was served concurrently with his already 16-year sentence in Nevada. On November 10, 1993, Teresa herself was finally arrested in her home in Salt Lake City. At the time of her arrest, she was using her maiden name of Cross and was working as a caretaker for her landlord's 86-year-old mother. See, I'm a caretaker. I could never do those things. What? No! On November 15, 1993, Teresa Nora was charged with two counts of murder, two counts of conspiracy to commit murder, and two special circumstance charges, multiple murder and murder by torture. She initially pleaded, not guilty, but then made a deal with the prosecution after learning that her son, Robert Jr., was going to testify in exchange for a reduced sentence. What? He wouldn't tell on me. Oh, shit, he did? Okay, okay. She pleaded guilty on the condition that she was spared the death penalty. On October 17, 1995, Teresa Nor was sentenced to consecutive life sentences. She is still incarcerated at California Institution for Women in Chino, California. 
She had a parole hearing back in July of 2019 and was denied release. Her next parole hearing will be in July of 2024. And I swear to God if they let this woman out. Uh-uh. And that's going to conclude today's episode. Rest in peace to the poor daughters and Clyde. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I'm Marissa Blackwood, and don't forget to tune in next week for a new All Things Murder. If you dare. fan of horror movies or true crime or perhaps both like myself don't forget to like and subscribe and don't forget to check out my tiktok at sinister marissa